This episode is brought to you by Breather. Breather is a network of hundreds of workspaces serving as a complement to the typical office. Ideal for individual work, meeting with clients, or company offsites, Breather offers beautifully designed private office spaces on demand. For more information, visit www.breather.com. This episode is brought to you by Flatiron School. Flatiron School is an outcomes-focused coding boot camp offering the best in software engineering education online and in New York City. For more information, visit flatiron500.com or check out the Giants and Crowns Partners page at www.giantsandcrowns.com forward slash partners. My name is Dennis. I'm the CEO and founder of X.AI. Me and my 90 propellerhead friends have spent the last three years in some basement in Manhattan trying to kind of create this intelligent agent that can set up meetings so that when you and I meet up in June and you send me an email saying, Dennis, you got time for a cup of coffee? I can reply back and say, yeah, I'm up for that. I have CC'd in Amy at X.AI. She can help put something on my calendar. And then she understands what I just asked her pulls me out of the conversation and then negotiates back and forth with you over email like any other human would do and drives you towards conclusion. And once concluded, sends us an invite. So that's us. That's awesome. So what, what spawned the idea? I mean, it's a, it's a stellar idea. So what, what brought it about? I think the catalyst was me post having our last venture acquired, sitting around the office one morning with a little bit of extra time on my hands. And then I jumped back into my calendar and I started to count how many meetings I did the year prior, mm. year 2012. And I did 1,019 meetings. Not only that, I had 672 reschedules. And I set all of them up myself. Not as something which I did because I thought it was fun. No, at home, at night, 11 p.m. in my underwear with a bowl of cereal, day in and day out. And I think anybody who goes through that amount of pain, at least for a moment, will mull over. Perhaps there's another way we can do this. And I think that was the catalyst or that first moment for where, hey, let's see if we cannot go engineer some agent that can do this little chore. It might not be possible, but let's at least look at it. Okay. So how did you, you go about getting started from that point? I think the first baby step was really just one of inviting my prior co-founders into a room, fool around on the whiteboard a little bit. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Get some input, try to kind of shoot it down because it's certainly a whole lot cheaper to shoot down an idea than it is to spend four years of your life on it and then figure out, oh, fuck. This doesn't work. (laughs) So I think we tried hard just to see whether this was crazy or not. And I think we all, me, Alex, Matt, what have you, saw some opportunity. And we actually raised capital, not on a promise of creating a company or make revenue or anything like that, but on collecting data to prove it could be done. So that initial seed round of about $2 million was not one for where out of this comes a company. No, out of this comes a data set where I will give you a thumbs up, this can be done, or a thumbs down that, hey, you know what? It was a good idea, but 2013 and forward just isn't the time to solve it. Mm. 
So that was an interesting kind of capital raise at that moment in time. So, so the, the team you've established um, in the beginning, what kind of relationship did you guys have when you very, very first met, whether it be at X.AI or even prior to that? And how has it evolved over time? If at all possible, whenever you start a new venture, I highly recommend that you don't go founder dating, as in, I need to find three people who will join me on this journey, people which I've never met before, and then I'll immediately ask them to marry me. Like in real life, that's probably not a good idea. You should probably at least end up with people you know, respect, and so on and so forth. And I've had this setting for where I've been fortunate enough to carry over people from past ventures. So both Matt and Alex, so we have four co-founders, Matt, Alex, Marcus, and I, and Matt and Alex came from the last venture. But even in the last venture, that also had a set of replicas. Because as soon as you bring in people you know, you simply decrease the risk. Mm -hmm. Most ventures have a high failure rate simply because the founders can't get along. And it sounds so simple that don't die on that. You know, die on a hundred thousand other things, not because you can't get along, but that is really why many startups just don't move forward because two people couldn't figure out how to talk to each other. And if you bring upon people that you know, then you know that we know exactly how to talk to each other. We talked to each other for half a decade. So that's certainly not an issue. So strongly recommend it. And in any one of my ventures, that's always been the case. That's awesome. So how is how have those relationships evolved, um, especially after you started X.AI? I think the more we get to know each other, the more visible it becomes who should do what. Right. Not as in, let's draw some sort of organizational chart and uh, take up roles and responsibility. You draw up some version of the firm which you believe is right for the first few steps but it becomes almost natural who's supposed to do what. Not as in, you know, let's go, you know, divide and conquer here. No, just naturally fall into places. I should do this part, and obviously you should do that part. And that's again where meeting up with three new guys for where at some meetup you got together and decided to do this. It is not immediately obvious who should do what. Awesome. So I just, just quick note, I turned off the, the camera because I'm getting some lag on my side. Sure. <clears throat> um, cool. So now that the, so how big is the team now? We are a good 90 plus people trying to solve this. And that's obviously a staggering amount of people yeah. to pay for and make sure that they are fit and have good places <laughs> to live in Manhattan. <laughs> But I think really the underlying story here is that some ventures just doesn't allow for the weekend hackathon to be the end of what you're trying to innovate or the three months in Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. What they take is year-long endeavors. And you know that almost from the get-go. And we knew that, and we've always been upfront and honest with our investors about that this will be hard. We do think there's a real reward at the end of it, but it will be hard. You should expect us to be in that basement. 
for years before we come out. And that's the team which we've assembled and those are the years which we spent. And we just, after initially getting the team back together late 2013, in October last year, launched the first premium version of the product. And just Tuesday this week, by the way, launched the business edition of Amy and Andrew so that you can bring them into your company, get a single invoice and run it on your domain and so on and so forth. That's awesome. So what are what were the primary, I guess, milestones over the last four years uh, that, that allowed you to get to where you are, um, especially this past Tuesday? I think the core utility of our offering is not unknown. So you can get our product, you could get our product in 1975 mm-hmm. and it's called the human assistant. Right. It's just that that product is quite expensive. So we never really stumbled into some product design setting where we were unsure about whether we should do A or B. We knew what we were supposed to do, which is that we should take really some luxury of having a human sit and manage your calendar and figure out how to replicate that. So that provided, I think, a clear path forward. That said, though, there's always interesting milestones, such as, I think, the launch of our data annotation console is one of those internal unsexy items that people probably aren't even aware of us having engineered. Kind of like if you and me decide that we're going to drill a tunnel from Manhattan to New Jersey. Everybody will be talking about the tunnel and the less commute time and all the sexy things that comes with having a tunnel extra from New Jersey to Manhattan. But the real work is probably going to be on the drill itself. Nobody talks about the drill, but that's really what you and I need to assemble. For us, that drill is what we call a data annotation console as in provide some platform for where we can take in data and label it in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of emails and within that intents and entities. And that happened, if I remember correctly, June 14, 2014, that was a good initial milestone. Then I would say a, Milestone on Blade was certainly October 13th in 2016, where we launched three years later that X.AI professional edition where you can go to the site, you can sign up, you can pay me 39 bucks a month and I'll have Amy manage your calendar and she can set up all the meetings you want her to set up. That's obviously a major milestone because it happened 36 months later. So those I remember beginning and the end <laughs> and i'm sure i could come up with 15 in between yeah so so the 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 drill as you put it um is it fair to say that that's like um sort of like a genome of of email communications like you 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 talked about tagging are you tagging the the the, the conversations are you tagging the email and the context of the email like how does all that work you should think so an a meeting consists obviously of multiple emails from multiple participants and each one of those emails will have a thread both what you responded your signature and some noise behind that and each one of the original texts will have 
perhaps multiple paragraphs, and each one of the paragraphs will have multiple sentences, and all of that needs to be labeled. So this is a supervised learning environment for where I need to label that in this particular email, you're trying to say that you want to cancel this meeting, or that you're running late, or that you're adding a participant, or that the pin code for the call-in changed, or whatever it might be that you're trying to tell Amy. And those intents label that so that we get a data set for where come the future, we can build models that can have the same understanding as a human. And then within the strings themselves, we'll look at any way you talk about date or time, and we would label that just because you say, how about we meet up on Wednesday at two, and if that doesn't work, then we could meet at four. First thing we would need to label is, what Wednesday are you talking about? As in, there needs to be some, some anchor, right? It could be that if you say Wednesday today on a Friday, you mean the next coming Wednesday, but that is not necessarily True, right? So we need to label that anchor. I need to label Wednesday. I need to label two o'clock. But then you said, if that doesn't work, we can meet at four. When you say, if that doesn't work, then we can meet at four. Four also means Wednesday. Where does that come from? How does the machine know that? Then I need to kind of pair that four o'clock with the Wednesday. That means there's a whole elaborate scheme put in place on how we label this. But that needs to be done because the more we do that, the smarter Amy becomes in kind of understanding this on her own. And that we have done from day one. And it's one of those really unsexy tasks where people don't really think about that being done. And once they set up to do a AI or intelligent agent type company of their own, they figured out that, ah, oh, this is a whole lot less sexy than I had thought. There's a lot of work in it. Uh, and that's really what the annotation console is all about. Provide some environment where you can do that annotation. That's awesome. So, you know, how how is the um, how has the team sort of been divided to not only conquer that, but then to build out your, your pipeline from a sales standpoint and get you to a point now where you have the, the business uh, version of, of Amy? I think... Again, nine out of ten dollars have been invested into the core utility. Mm. As in, right now we have 40 people doing nothing but labeling data. The vast majority of the team are on the data science and data engineering end. The pool of folks which work on either just the operations of labeling the data or the annotation console itself, that's been everything that we've been trying to invent and that have been quite clear. Only of late have we been working on kind of what you allude to, the packaging of the core utility. So now that we've done all this R&D, how do we then package that and bring it to market? And that again have been for us, kind of clear from day one that we'll have a go-to-market strategy very similar to that of say a Slack or Dropbox that we knew there would be a free edition where you can schedule a few limited meetings with Amy that there will be a single user 
professional edition where you can just go to the website, sign up and start use it immediately. And that's, there would eventually be a business edition for where the SMB could sign up for this, give it to all their employees, move it to their domain. And that part was again, no. And I think perhaps the difference between what I'm telling you and what you hear other people tell you is that we are not hunting for a unknown product market fit. So many companies are trying to fix they've engineered is in the interest of the market, as in, do they really want to use what we've put out there? We knew that people wanted to use what we put out there, as in, if they could afford it, they would get that human personal assistant any day. So we just need to figure out how to replicate that. So that's made it not simple, that would be completely unfair, given all the years we spent on it, right. but certainly much, much clearer for us where we headed and really just a matter of doing the work. And there's no cheating on that. That's awesome. So like with that guiding light, um, I imagine there's, there's a lot more certainty about uh, the movements you're making. You're really, you're, you're sort of uh, digging with a, a significant amount more confidence than if you were trying to figure things out as you were going. There's, doesn't mean that we don't test things right. or that there's not things where we need to figure out whether we do A or B, but the clarity is certainly something which that's been to our advantage. As in, we've never had that moment where do we need to rewind? We can just keep moving forward at a steady pace. Got it. So how, how do you go about driving the team forward um, with all that in mind? Like what, what are... What are, the, what are the operations of X.AI look like? I think any company should take comfort in a singular focused mission statement, not something fluffy, not something about we want to survive, but some mission statement for where we set out to do this. And we will do it at all costs. And if we don't make it, that is okay. At least we can lean back and say, we gave it all we had. And for us, that's really just scheduling meetings. No more, no less. And we've never been confused about that. And there's something about having people line up behind a really clear mission statement. There's nothing worse, and you know that yourself, running forward but not really know where you're headed as in is this wasted energy am i running in the wrong direction and then you start to slow down because now you're not sure if you're always sure about what we set out to do and that never changes, that is just cemented as in we will not compromise on that we will never do any fucking pivot we will just do this or die trying that provides i think for not comfortable, that's the wrong word, but certainly a robust setting where everybody will stand tall, and move forward one step at a time. That's stellar. That's, that's really stellar. This concept of a, of a mission statement. I've seen, I've seen quite a few companies, I mean, pretty much every company I've come across has that as a, as a, as a, as a core premise of their business. Um, what, what would you say is, is the hardest thing in, in uh, upholding the, the mission that you put forth? I don't think it's 
hard. So we've always done that. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. We've been plenty of mistakes and we're not more or less brilliant than the next guy. But what we are is that we are true to our mission. Mm-hmm. And we really just want to be the guys who solve the meeting scheduling pain. And that is something which we've done in all our ventures. And for us, the whole idea of we could also now use some of our R&D to do this, that just doesn't even cross our minds. And it's just not really embedded into our culture. So that, I wouldn't say is difficult. There's a hundred other things that are hard, such as you think you need less data than what you really needed. You think that the quality of the data you collect would be higher if you deploy humans to annotate it. And there's all sorts of things for where, oh, so I need 5x the data, but it was super fucking expensive to buy the one part. Now I need to buy another four parts. So how do I finance that? Or I somehow just thought that humans would make correct calls all the time. Kind of like if you engineer a self-driving car and you mimic a human being to the nth degree so that it's a complete replica. You want, as in humans are not good at driving. They make so many mistakes that you actually want a machine to not drive like a human. And we have the same thing for where machine to necessarily on the back end or within its intelligence, just get the meetings like a human being as they make a ton of mistakes. So how do I then operate within that environment? How do I then collect data which I can use if people just aren't good at picking up on time zones or people aren't good at picking up on little subtleties and lies that you and I tell as human beings all the time? So that's certainly been interesting and surprising, but it never changed the mission statement. It's just made it a little bit harder, right? but then you lean forward, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the, the this idea of, of AI augmenting and enabling our day-to-day activities, what, what are your what are your overall thoughts on that? Because it sounds like you're creating something that um, would make any productive person even more powerful. It's like you said, having that person in your pocket. So I'm obviously biased here because I want to survive, but have that in mind <laughs> as I tell you what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> I am not so sure that the app economy as we know it is supposed to be the size that it is. I think a very large chunk of those apps shouldn't exist as apps. They should exist as agents. Mm. So let me give you an example here. And it's not a made up example. You come to downtown Manhattan. You stay at the Hilton. It's 11 p.m and you want to die a Coke, I will guarantee you that your first thought is not one for where you say, hey, you know what? Let me go to the app store. Let me find the Hilton app. Let me download and install the Hilton app. Let me set up an account. Let me log in. Let me find the store. Let me add the Diet Coke to my basket. Let me check out. Let me apply my credit card numbers. Let me submit that. And then I wait for the Diet Coke. I said, hey, I would have died before I got to the end of that. What I really want is just to see a big ass number on the front door and I text the downstairs lobby and some agent receive it and I say, hey, code, please. And that's all I want. I don't want no app. I don't want to install anything. I don't want a username and password. I want a diacope. 
And for that, I think there's a whole host of apps for where it is not apps we want. I want an agent to help me do a little chore that I don't really want to do myself, whether that is calling up room service to get the Diet Coke or help setting up a meeting or having my receipts submitted or book my travels to Miami this weekend or whatever that might be. So I think there's so many interesting things that we can and will do with agents as we move forward. So that is for me certainly a super bright and super interesting part of the near-term future. Mm. It sounds like in, in that you're talking about the infrastructure of apps also shifting um, to be more anchor on agents. I wonder what are your thoughts on how that infrastructure will need to shift to to best enable agents to thrive in the way you, talk, you just you just described. That's a good question. I think the relationship will be one for where you probably have some horizontal enabler AI. Think of agents like Siri, Cortana, Alexa, what have you. And those enabler or horizontal AIs will then have a bunch of vertical AIs on payroll. Amy will be one of them and 15 others. And then you might say things like, hey Siri, could you have Amy set something up for early next week with Dennis at his office, please? Or you might even say, Amy, hey Siri, could you set up a meeting first week of June with Dennis when I'm back? And it is now Siri's responsibility to understand that, hey, I was just asked to do a thing for where I do not have that skill, but we do have somebody on payroll though who have that skill. Let me package this message, send that to my vertical AI, the vertical AI will say, thank you very much. Let me go work on that an hour later, a day later, two days later, that vertical AI comes back and say, hey, remember that thing you asked me to do on Friday? I've done that now. And then the enable AI will go back and say, hey, the meeting with Dennis is set up. You're meeting at his office on 200 Broadway on June 5th at 10 a.m. And that relationship is certainly how I see that first wave happening. And then I think there's going to be a next wave for where the vertical AIs will start to talk to each other. Say, I booked a meeting in Miami. I can see it run, it will run long. And I can see it's probably going to run so long that you might not be able to make it home. So I'm going to at least alert your travel agent. And your travel agent will then need to figure out, yeah, that is running late. Either he will go rebook your tickets. If he rebooks the tickets, so you go home early next morning, he might actually alert your hotel booking agent who now needs to go set up a room for the night. Your hotel booking agent now knows that, hey, since I'm doing this for work, I need to get it reimbursed. So he will then reach out and connect with your mini CPA agent and say, hey, I've collected these receipts. Make sure that I am being reimbursed for that. So I think there's gonna be this cascading set of positive effects for when the agents are allowed to both understand and talk to each other. And that might sound crazy, but I don't think it's necessarily so crazy that it couldn't happen even over the next half decade. No, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I love the, the, the analogy with the horizontal and vertical verticalization of the industry. 
It seems like in in the example you painted, every industry would have its own agent. Almost like you could have a, you talked about having a, I guess a travel hospitality agent, potentially even having a, a real estate agent, having a, a food industry agent, somebody who's, who's, who's dealing with all of the different buckets of Maslow's hierarchy, if you will, around the human yep. experience. What I do think though, and what I would suggest to anybody who jumps into this pool is that they narrow it. Right. It is very easy to imagine one of these agents. It's just very hard to deliver on that promise. So I do think anybody who want to be in the pool with me should try to narrow their agent and just do one thing, but really nail it. So if you are a recruitment agent, don't try to do necessarily the whole recruitment process. Just figure out where in this process is there a little chore for where nobody is adding any value and I could just take that over and kind of hone in on that and really become world-class at it. Just like world-class at really just one thing. We're not trying to kill the human personal assistant. They will stay put. We're just trying to say that there's a chore in your inbox for the unassisted. And how about I just do that for you? But it's a small sliver. It's awesome. So as we transition over to, to Quickfire, what have you uh, what have you done with your free time now? Uh, you talked about having a thousand meetings scheduled uh, last, I think it was 2012, 630 something or other, 670 or so uh, reschedules. And that was all you in your pajamas around a cereal bowl in the evening <laughs> carrying it out. So, <laughs> so, so now that you're not doing that because you have Amy doing it, what have you found your, your, your free time um, being consumed by? I think there's always more important things time, especially when you have to do little chores where that adds very little strategic value to the firm. So me setting up my own meetings to begin with was never a good idea. I was just Google too entrepreneurial, too stupid. And I should have hired somebody, even a human to help me out, but I didn't. And perhaps that was all for the better because now I'm working on this problem. <laughs> but I think there's always time that you can spend well. The time which I've saved, hopefully I just speak to more candidates who can join the team. Hopefully that results in us getting better team members. Perhaps I speak to more investors. Hopefully that results in us having even better partners for the long term. Hopefully I speak to our board more often so they are better informed and any decision we take is not random and so on and so forth. I wouldn't say that I've taken that chunk of time, say probably three hours every week and just allocated to one particular task. I wish that I would just have allocated to say three hours of reading, you know, that would have been lovely. <laughs> but that's never the case for where you say, hey, I'm just gonna sit now every Friday, 11 a.m. till two and read around the office. That would be cool. I've, I've got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> Maybe another app for that or another uh, another business yes. for that altogether. All right, so uh, as we wrap up, uh, we're going to jump into the quick fire section. So uh, real quick format, ask these real quick questions. You quickly answer and provide your rationale for why, and then we, uh, we call it a day. You ready? I'm ready. Awesome. So Biggie or Tupac? Tupac. <laughs> Why? I think Biggie is overrated. 
<laughs> You're gonna make a lot of enemies with that. I promise you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right now, half the audience just clicked out this tab. Exactly. Like you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Oh yes. <laughs> so, uh, favorite book. Favorite book depends on who you are. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur, you should go read The Narrow Road by Felix Dennis. It's a book by a British entrepreneur. The whole book is super rude, very hard to really use in your day-to-day -day work. But one point comes across in the book when you get to the end of it, which is that you should cherish every single share and never surrender a share unless you think that is the only thing you can do to move forward, whether that be your option plan and new employees or investors or co-founders or what have you. So that's certainly one of my favorites. And I think my appetite for equity comes from that book. <laughs> so what about for the folks who, who aren't entrepreneurs, but um, just as uh, endeavors in their lives? What other book? I think I'll give you a recent book I read, which I kind of liked. So go pick up Shoe Dog from Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. It's not necessarily a book for entrepreneurs. It's obviously a fantastic story and just oh, a wonderful outcome. But it's just an amazing 30, 40 years on a guy who wanted to make sneakers. And I really liked it. It's kind of half romantic, really, when you read it. It's just a good story and not necessarily any immediate takeaways, just time well spent with Phil from Nike. That's how it is to read it. So nice. uh, if you have a weekend and you know, a few hours, you, know, you should pick it up. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. I really appreciate it. This, is, this has been a good, good uh, 30, 40 minutes catching up with you. Um, do you have any final words? Final words, because I am ever the entrepreneur. You must now immediately go to x.ai, sign up for our wait list, and or even pull out your wallet and sign up for the Pro Edition and start trying out AB. And that'll be that. <laughs> co-sign. I co-sign all of that. <laughs> awesome, Dennis. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.